Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. everyone. Welcome. I'm Miriam Knight, and I am delighted to have as my guest today, Paul Davids. Paul is a Princeton psychology graduate, an original fellow of the AFI Center for Advanced Film Studies, and an award-winning Hollywood writer, director, and producer of many TV films distributed by Showtime and NBC Universal, including The Sci-Fi Boys, which was the Saturn Award winner Best DVD of 2006, Jesus in India, and Roswell, that got a Golden Globe nominee. Uh, his latest film, Marilyn Monroe Declassified, will be released soon, and maybe we'll hear more about that later. Paul is also a poet and artist, and the co-author with his wife Hollis, Davids, of six books in the Lucasfilm Star Wars saga. Today, we are going to explore how science fiction turned into science fact for Paul as we discuss An Atheist in Heaven, The Ultimate Evidence for Life After Death? A new book he co-authored with Gary Schwartz, Ph.D. Welcome, Paul. Thank you for having me, Miriam. Well, you had me really quite intrigued. I mean, when you get a book that's co-authored by someone so well-known in the world of science fantasy and a scientist whose work is dedicated to proving that sci phenomena are not necessarily fiction, uh, you, you just have to call and say, okay, I'll bite. So what made you two decide to write this book together? Well, um, we worked together on a film that was released in 2013 called The Life After Death Project. I was the producer director of that film. <clears throat> Gary appeared in it and in part it dealt with his research. The focus of that film though was the strange case of Forrest J. Ackerman who was my mentor for decades who I got to know when I was a child he was the editor of Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, very, very famous in the world of science fiction, he even coined the term sci-fi. So uh, strange things began happening in my life after the grand tribute for Fari Ackerman. He died December 4th, 2008. March uh, 8th of 2009, large tribute for him was held in the Egyptian theater. Fari had uh, always been an atheist and uh, very skeptical and dubious about uh, uh, God, prayer, religion, paranormal, uh, even ESP and parapsychology and UFOs. Uh, and yet he was a man of great imagination and a futurist. So, uh, as he approached the end of his life, I said to him, Fari, you know, what if, have you given any thought to maybe you're wrong about this thing about life after death? And he replied saying, well, I doubt very seriously. 
uh, I'm wrong. Uh, I've been an atheist all my life, and I will be to my dying breath. He said, but if it turns out I am wrong, and I wake up to the big science fiction convention in the sky after I die, <laughs> he said, I'll spend time having reunions with my favorite actors like Boris Karloff, Frankenstein, and uh-huh. Bela Lugosi, Dracula, Peter Lorre. Um, he said, and of course, my dear wife, Wendy. But when the party dies down, if it ever does, maybe I would drop you a line, let you know. He said, but don't count on it. So that was his response. But he had used this expression, maybe I would drop you a line. And I didn't think much more of it. Um, I do want to go back in time to 1983 for a moment when I was a segment producer for the famous attorney F. Lee Bailey. You know him from the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm -hmm. He had a show called Lie Detector. Hmm. And I was a segment coordinator on the show. Um, And in that capacity, I would review different stories of people who wanted to come on the show and be wired up for a lie detector, for a polygraph, and hopefully have their story corroborated, a story that someone had doubted. And then they would be confronted on the show, either that they were fabricating, or uh, that they were being confirmed, or occasionally it would come out as inconclusive. Back in 83, when I was on that show, I did have the experience with Dorothy Allison, psychic detective from New Jersey, who I brought on the show, amazing woman who came with a file. She had dossiers. She had letters of commendation from police departments about how she had helped solve various cases through her psychic ability, especially finding bodies of uh, murder victims that had not been found. And she provided clues that were useful, very useful in many cases. And she passed her polygraph. And I met her, I talked to her. I'd had no experience in this field. Uh, Psychics to me at that point was something I didn't take seriously. I I have a psychology degree from Princeton. Uh, They don't teach uh, psychics and mediums in Princeton. (laughs) So certainly uh, not then. No, I was, I was, you know, but she opened my mind because I, I felt, look, she did solve some of these cases. The one in particular where she passed the polygraph on our show was amazing. And she said she got the information from the murder victim. The spirit of the murder victim came to her. Mm-hmm. So in order to believe that, you have to believe, okay, there is life after death. There is a spirit world that spirits look in on this world and still have concern about things going on in this world. Um, and um, would still want, let's say, vindication or at least their corpse found if they were murdered in this case. So you had to start to believe all of that. And so somewhere in the back of my mind, I thought, okay, maybe, maybe there's something to it. Now, jump forward in time. That was 1983. Fari Ackerman, my mentor, dies at, uh, in 2008. So, you know, that's a lot of years. I mean, we're talking a quarter of a century. And it was the weekend of his tribute when I heard the first story from two Canadian filmmakers who were there. They had made a documentary about him. By the way, all of this is is uh, in uh, my book that I wrote with Gary Schwartz, An Atheist in Heaven. It's also covered in the documentary, The Life After Death Project. 
But we went on and wrote the book because the academic world suggested to us that the documentary wasn't enough. We had scientific reports. We had research into the Ackerman afterlife communication case uh-huh. from scientists at three different universities. We had chemistry analysis. We had chemistry reports, studies that went on for three years. They wanted to see it in a book. That's why we have an atheist in heaven. So just to wrap the thought, the two Canadian filmmakers had something really weird happen to them that weekend of the tribute that made them feel absolutely Fari had contacted them one hour after they had visited a script. It made a really good story. Clearly, they really believed it. I didn't question it. And then one week later, it happened to me. There was mm-hmm. an incident that literally changed my life. And when it happens to you, you go from intellectual interest in a subject to being confronted with the truth of something. And that's that was the process I went through. I think a lot of people are in different uh, points along that spectrum from a rational uh, from from perhaps an open-minded skepticism to belief with with um, personal experience being the thing that really nails it down mm-hmm. for sure I mean my mother was an agnostic uh, I was raised not in any religion uh, I think my father was more open-minded than my mother she said she was an agnostic but really that was a just a word that sort of covered her, her disbelief. And when I first told my mother, who was then in her 80, late 80s, uh, about what happened uh, that made me feel that I was hearing from Fari Ackerman after he died, her reaction was, you know, you know this is crazy. You know, do, mm-hmm. do we need a psychiatrist for you? You know, please don't tell anyone this. <laughs> Certainly none of my friends. <laughs> you know, yeah, that are friends. And she said, don't even tell your sister. <laughs> well, of course, none of that would fly. And uh, she uh, she didn't find out till much later that uh, I contacted my cousin after there was evidence of this. There was a there was a message that I have determined to my mind certainly was from Fari after he died. And he dropped me a line. It was uh, ink, a line of text. He was an editor. He took one of my documents when I was alone in the house. I knew the document had nothing strange about it. And he blacked out four words with ink that was still moist while I was out of the room for a few minutes. And he blacked it out in a way that was precise, definite, targeted. You could see that those words were chosen and the fact that it was still moist and even the, the ink, at that time I didn't know whether it was ink or paint or a solvent or a dye, but you could see it was in two different levels of blackness. So you could kind of read the first two words still, but the second two words were completely obliterated. You know, I had to go back to my computer to the original file to see what it was. Well, I have to admire your tenacity in getting to the root of it. I mean, you had you had spectrometry done on the ink. You went to scientists in their laboratories who pulled out little pieces of paper to determine what it was. Yes, laser desorption. I had to agree that there could be destructive tests on the original. They called it an ink obliteration. Um, oh, we're going to go to break, I see. It uh, sounds like it. Yeah. I just want to point out to our listeners 
that the book starts with a sworn and notarized affidavit that it's all true. So stay with us and listen to the rest of my interview with Gary, with Paul Davids, about an atheist in heaven. I'm Miriam Knight, speaking with Paul Davids about an atheist in heaven. So you mentioned at, in the first segment about Forey being a futurist, Forrest Ackerman, your mentor. Mm-hmm. It's kind of intriguing to think of science when we look back at science fiction movies of the past 50 or 75 years how many of the things that were absolutely uh, wild, over-the-top, extravagant predictions have actually uh, become commonplace. Well, that's absolutely true. I mean, Fari Ackerman and his friend, the very famous writer Ray Bradbury, uh, were saying back in the 1930s that man would get to the moon in their lifetime, and they were considered nuts. Mm-hmm. you know, lunatics for actually believing that. So sometimes the people who are into uh, imagination and science fiction, uh, they're looking into a future they think could exist and they look for the reasons that it could exist. And, uh, you know, so how many things from Star Trek have become true? Those con- communicators. I mean, we never imagined a world with, you know, with iPhones, for example, that could do all those things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was an aspect. Uh, it's why science fiction writer Richard Matheson, when I interviewed him, um, he knew Fari, and he agreed that uh, he agreed with my conclusion that Fari was contacting me after he died. Um, and he he said, you know, Fari is correcting himself. You know, he he. he he determined that he was wrong about that it's all over like a light bulb going out when the body dies and uh, he's letting you know. And he has let me know in so many ways I can scarcely count them, which is what <laughs> makes the case such a unique one. I did go to scientists right away and I, I want to get into more about that. But I want to say in the book, An Atheist in Heaven, I recount years of continuing unexplainable things that happened in my life, but not just my life, um, in the lives of the scientists who began studying this, uh, they came to feel that they were, uh, they were having experiences very similar to mine, that absolutely, it was like living in the twilight zone. And when these experiences would come, Often it would be at a time where there would be a strong concentration on Fari Ackerman for some reason. You know, for example, a movie that I was making uh, about him getting accepted on the Sci-Fi Channel. You know, that was a day that the plastic mask of his face that I had by itself moved 10 feet across the room in my home office. Again, while I was out of the room, but nothing else moved in the room and there were no open windows, no drafts. There's no explanation for it. So in, in the book... I, I deal with about 140 different incidents, since uh, most of them since 2008, uh, that uh, I do not think can be explained. Uh, and I think probably around 100 of them do have to do with Fari. Um, Miriam, I, I was saying before when I said that my mother's reaction was so strong, don't tell anyone. The irony is that um, her 
deceased brother's son, it was my cousin, Dr. Jay Siegel, who was absolutely one of the top forensic chemists in the country. At that time, uh, Jay Siegel was uh, chairman of the chemistry department at Indiana University, Purdue University at Indianapolis. Um, and he had written many chemistry textbooks, uh, a lot in forensics, crime. He's testified in many, many court trials where chemistry evidence is crucial to determining guilt or innocence. So I, I called up Jay, and I was very frank with him, and I told him what had happened to me uh, and that I was really, really shaken by it. I had no explanation for the blackout of these four lines. It seemed like it was impossible from another world, as if from a ghost. Uh, there was no one else in the house. And he said, oh, well, he said, why don't you FedEx me the document and I'll start to study it. And I said, no, 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 I would never FedEx it. I won't let this out of my hands. I'm not going to take a chance on it getting lost. I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to hand carry this to you. There's going to be no interruption in the chain of evidence from the time it happened. And let me bring my video cameras. Let's record what you do in uh, your labs. And if you could explain this away and give me a logical explanation, please do. Fine. I would rather, you know, not live with the feeling that I'm in touch with a ghost. <laughs> but um, he he was entirely unsuccessful for all of his tools at explaining this. And he brought in his great colleague, uh, Dr. John Allison, College of New Jersey chemist, who contributed some chapters to our book, An Atheist in Heaven. And John Allison spent three years on the problem. I thought it was amusing that he actually had his graduate students working on it as well. Yes. Yeah, it became a, the class project year after year. Uh, could they duplicate the ink obliteration that happened to me, given all the facts that they knew about it? And science has been unable to duplicate it. It's a total mystery. And Dr. Allison can't explain the many weird things that began happening to him from the very day he began experimenting on this some of which I caught on my uh, video camera, just as, as it happened. So the bottom line is, I, you know, having dealt with the world of skeptics, particularly with UFOs, you know, because I was producer of Showtime's movie Roswell, mm -hmm. and I heard from so many top people that the Roswell case was real. Um, and I heard it from astronauts, Gordon Cooper, uh, who first orbited the Earth, invited me to visit him after he saw the movie. And he told me how accurate we had it, according to everything he knew. And uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, who walked on the moon, same thing. And yet the UFOs are debunked and debunked and denied. And the debunkers are always asking for that evidence, for some incontrovertible evidence that they can't say is a faked photo or uh you know, mm -hmm. something duplicitous yeah. or a mistake. So I came to respect evidence in paranormal cases. When this incident happened to me, I was attuned to be concerned about it, especially because of what I had heard from the two Canadian filmmakers that Fari contacted them after uh, they were at his crypt. And this happened to me a week later. So um Eventually, you know, I, I, I found out what it meant with those four words that were blacked out, that it was tied in to a thank you for the tribute and to an apparition that his closest caretaker had had of him after he died, a man named Joe Mo. 
And uh, it, it's really, you know, it's changed. It's changed my life because I have a new worldview now that that the what we think is impossible is not only it's not only possible, but it happens every day. And, you know, I have a much more open mind now uh, and much more accepting of these things. And I welcome these contacts from Fari when they happen because I, I, I love it. It's a friendship continuing after death. And I took it on my shoulders as if a responsibility or a mission to record everything that happened accurately because there were so many things. And I wanted to present it. Really, it's a challenge to the skeptics. And I haven't heard from – no skeptic has picked up this book and gone through it to try to uh, debunk it. As a matter of fact, when the top skeptic in America probably, Dr. Michael Shermer, Shermer mm. yeah, when, when he was in my film The Life After Death Project, I wanted a skeptic, and he filled the role. He's the publisher of Skeptic Magazine, and he's the <laughs> sort executive. Sort of the chief skeptic. Yeah, he and James Randi sort of share the title, The Amazing Randi. He's also uh, the executive director of the Skeptic Society. So, you know, he, he was he was in the film and actually he was you know less skeptical than the normally he said, you know, life after death. He said, look, I'm for it. You know, <laughs> I'm not against it. Everybody's for it. He said, I just don't see the proof. Um, and if uh, we have a consciousness after we die, doesn't that mean we must have had a consciousness before we were born? And where is that? And how would it be possible to know? He said, maybe someday. Uh, with quantum theory uh, and entanglement theory and advances in physics, we'll be able to explain it. And then it won't be paranormal. It'll be chapter 29 in your latest physics book. (laughs) But Gary Schwartz, my co-author, feels we have the structure within science to explain it today. And he's contributed about seven or eight chapters to An Atheist in Heaven, and he puts it out there for you. And Michael Shermer signed for me in one of his books, The Believing Brain. He signed at the beginning to Paul, in respect of your honest search and integrity. And, you know, the people, I want to hear that, that, that I've, been, I've been acknowledged by the head mm-hmm. skeptic in America that I'm being honest and I've gone about it with integrity. The people who write quips at Amazon saying, oh, I didn't believe a word of it. Oh, we just have one man's word for it. Oh, there are lying sworn affidavits all the time. Oh, the man says he's an amateur magician. These just are probably magician's tricks. Mm -hmm. People who, you know, I don't believe they really, you know, read the book and saw the evidence to say this is just one man's say-so is absolutely wrong. We have many witnesses to the different things that happened and we have perplexed scientists at three universities, and things have happened to them. Well, so many books are coming out and, and documentaries supporting the existence of consciousness after life and, and probably before life. Certainly a lot of uh, hypnosis has come up with pre-birth memories or, or, you know, other life memories. Mm-hmm. But what's, what's interesting about Shermer is that he is a skeptic with an open mind. A skeptic is somebody who has to be shown. And I think in one of Gary Schwartz's chapters, he's talking about the person from Missouri who says, show me. 
And then another person who says, I don't care what you show me, there's no way I'm going to believe it. Well, Gary recounts a really embarrassing experience he had with Penn of Penn & Teller um, and uh, Lawrence O'Donnell, actually, who is someone I respect and appreciate, and I love listening to him on television now. But when uh, Lawrence O'Donnell was having a a pilot filmed um, that he invited Gary Schwartz in and Penn, Penn Teller, um, to talk about Gary's research on life after death. It's clear from Gary's chapter that he was absolutely railroaded, you know, that he was, he was, he was set up and ambushed and treated really, really unfairly. And I do think that happens very frequently with television shows. You know, I've, I've seen it on CNN again and again with things that are historically controversial, you know, mm-hmm. talk about the the Kennedy assassination. Sure. Uh, I see it with UFOs all the time. So it's a social problem, this closed-mindedness that prevents the research. Yeah. Well, we'll pick that up after the break. I'm speaking with Paul David about an atheist in heaven. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Christina Ricci with Rain. Every two minutes, another American is sexually assaulted. If you or someone you know has been sexually assaulted, you are not alone. Help is just a call or click away through the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Please call 1-800-656-HOPE, that's H-O-P-E, or visit RAIN.org, that's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. Brought to you by RAIN and this station. Welcome back. I'm Miriam Knight speaking with Paul Davids about an atheist in heaven. Let's get back to your friend, uh, Forrest J. Ackerman. You said that he was a confirmed skeptic, atheist, absolutely had no belief in the afterlife, which is kind of uh, intriguing considering his line of work. Mm-hmm. Um what do you think was his intent in getting not only back to you, but in organizing this almost phalanx of events um, to to uh, influence the most possible number, the greatest possible number of people? Well, I I think it was a function of his personality in a way because. Uh, he not only was a mischief maker with a great and well, I say great sense of humor. It was a unique, a little bit of a twisted sense of humor. It was very awry, but he was also a showman, and he also uh, was uh, relentless when he had an interest in something. You know, he never let it drop, and uh, he had always had a great memory. I mean, anything about the world of imaginative movies that went back to the earliest days of the silent films. He was a walking encyclopedia of every single detail. So Fari has gone about this, in my opinion, in death, uh, very much the way he would have gone about it uh, in life. Uh, he said, I'll drop you a line. Well, he was always dropping people a line in, in life. He, I, I have about 15 postcards from him through the years from his travels from many different countries. 
And it was always just sort of checking in, saying, hi, I'm here. I'm in an interesting place. Think of me. I'm thinking of you. Um, so he, he was in touch with many, many people. I, I have to say thousands of people in his lifetime. He was a prominent agent of science fiction for film and uh, literature. And as the editor-in-chief of his magazine that he did with publisher James Warren, Famous Monsters of Film Rant, um, it had so many readers and fans, particularly of my generation. Mm -hmm. So I think he's spreading the message, and he's not just relying on one person, you know, like me. Um, but he has really been spreading the message that I'm still here, and he uh, he has responded to certain requests uh, for signs. And then so many things have happened that take us by surprise that we have no control over. We never know when it's going to happen. Let me tell you the kinds of things, you know, because it encompasses many of the areas of afterlife research. There have been apports. There have been permanent disappearances of some objects that were related to the case in a way that was being discussed at the time and things vanished and were never seen again. There were other things that vanished and then were searched for and then appeared in a very, very obvious place. Uh, often these things would show up in the morning. You know, you wake up, you come down, you're in your office and something you'd been looking for for weeks is suddenly right beside your uh, computer. Uh, it's happened to me with friends when I visit friends, particularly friends that knew Forey. I can think of one case of a lady that we hadn't seen each other in a long time. She had once sent me a book, uh, she said, at Forey's prompting. Uh, you know, she just sort of sensed she, that I would, should have that book. So we talked uh, and uh, at length, and then afterwards we went back to her car. And she said right on the passenger seat then was a pair of uh, sunglasses that she had been looking for for six months. She <laughs> said it couldn't have been there. She said she'd had the car washed, you know, many times, cleaned out. She looked everywhere, and there it is in plain sight. Mm -hmm. So again and again there have been apports in plain sight, disappearances and appearances. There has been what we call instrumental transcommunication. That includes EVP, electronic voice phenomena. And it means the use of our own technology, whether it's computers or video cameras or uh, uh, audio tape or even a telephone, to have a communication between the worlds, from beyond the veil, if you will. Many experiences like that. It even happened to my wife and I from my father-in-law after he passed, and these incidents are uh, included in an atheist in heaven. Well, I think that makes sense because we talk about the nature of consciousness as having the qualities of light and electricity, the nature of of being, the body electric, and so uh, being able to influence uh, electronic um, instruments is not. Uh, wildly outside of the imagination. I know. I don't think it is. So I mentioned instrumental transcommunication and apports, but other areas, synchronicities. Mm -hmm. Synchronicities are those one in a million, one in a billion coincidences where something just uh, shocks you because of the way a few events have come together uh, 
seemingly impossibly. Well, we, we always know that that really rare chance is going to show up sometime. You know, there's always going to be somebody who wins the lottery. There's always going to be somebody who's hit by lightning. The question is, at what point is it no longer coincidence? When you have one incident after another, after another, after another, yeah. then I think you have to abandon what the debunkers and skeptics uh, say when they say mere coincidence. And you have to say, no, there's something at work behind this. And it's communication from someone you can't see with your eyes. So uh, there's that. There's the physical phenomena, such as, you know, the ink that happened to me, the line of ink. But we had many, many physical phenomena, moving objects uh, having to do with masks, uh, popping off a wall and going a few feet through the air at a dinner party right after the punchline of a joke. Um, we, we had... We had we held a séance in the Acker Mansion. We went. We were invited back to the house he lived in. By the way, it was it was an eighteen room house. It was called the Acker Mansion. He collected everything he could about science fiction, props for movies, you know, masks, lobby cards, posters, every science fiction book you can imagine, first editions, and the house was filled with these things. And he would have visitors. So. After, well, he had to move out about six years before he passed away, and he moved to a smaller house. But that Acker Mansion was then remodeled. I know the new owner. Weird stuff had been happening at the Acker Mansion. Even in my film, The Life After Death Project, I interviewed a couple of the tenants who lived there who talked about the strange stuff. And it's starting to be a long list uh, of those things. So we were invited back, meaning Gary Schwartz and I. And we brought a scientific team with us uh, for four days at the Acker Mansion, and we also brought mediums and psychics. And we did hold a seance there, and uh, at the climax of that seance, one of the scientists we had brought suddenly had a very disturbed look on his face and was touching the couch he was sitting on, and the whole couch was vibrating. And we had been told in the seance that there was going to be a, a sign. And uh, this came right after Montague Keene was discussed. He was a life after death researcher, now passed away. He was involved with the skull experiments out of England. And we were told this was a sign from Montague Keene. All right. Now, I'm always going to retain a, a certain skepticism in my mind, and I wanted to examine that couch, you know, because my devious mind thinks, wait a minute, did somebody leave a vibrating sex toy in there? <laughs> <laughs> but I took the, the, the pillows apart, you know, I checked everything about that couch, and there was nothing uh, like that, you know, to explain it. I, I even slept on the couch that night to see if it would happen again. It didn't. Because we had uh, one of the psychics during those uh, four days and three nights, she had reported her bed vibrating strongly in the middle of the night, and she wondered if it was an earthquake. Mm. So there were, there were there was a number of phenomena that happened during the research. So bottom line, an atheist in heaven documents it all very thoroughly with lots of photos of everything I felt was relevant, all the people, uh, incidents, evidence scientific reports and the documentary film the life after death project takes it all up to 2013 and and i do want to say i made a sequel also to the life after death project so there was a number two called personal encounters 
if you do get the DVD, both of those films are in the DVD. And where are they available, Paul? I think the easiest way is um, Amazon.com, where you can get it all. Um, but if you go to um, – uh, well, I have a website about this, which is lifeafterdeathproject.com. Mm-hmm. Well, we have the DVD available there. And I also want to say that for my film, Jesus in India, which is one of my most popular films about the missing years of Christ, filmed in India and at the Vatican and at various universities, we have a site, JesusInIndiaTheMovie.com. And there's a DVD, uh, there's even a music soundtrack, and there's the, the book it was based on and the book that was written about making the film. So those are good sites to check out. In addition, of course, Amazon.com is kind of one-stop shopping, Mm -hmm. and they do offer discounts. Mm -hmm. Right. And and also with the book, it's a hardback, but it's also available there as an e-book. Very good. That's the story there. So it's um, Life After Death, The Project is the name of the book? Um, No, no, the the website is lifeafterdeathproject.com. Yeah, don't forget the word project or you'll never find it. Right, and the name of the book is? An atheist in yeah. heaven. Well, that's your that's the current book, but uh, you you were talking about oh no no that there was two the DVDs. DVDs yeah the life after death project that was shown on Sci Fi, and if you order the DVD, a second DVD is in there. The life after death project two personal okay. encounters. Okay. So I've, I've been work at this now for years since it all started. And uh, never intended, never planned. It's just when I brought my camera into those laboratories, began filming what was happening, and then one opportunity after another opened up for me to further explore it, it grew into a documentary. Has it changed your personal relationship with the notion of death? Yes. You know, I, I... I, I cannot subscribe to the idea of the materialist that I grew up with that uh, when the body dies, it's like a light bulb going out that never shines again. Um, so I do think there, yeah, there's life after death. We go on. Personality is even retained. Sounds good to me. I, I'm willing to subscribe. And like, 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 like Michael Shermer says, not against <laughs> stay with us we'll be right back with Paul Davis and an atheist in heaven hi this is Carly Simon for Lifebeat the music industry fights AIDS the AIDS crisis isn't over there have been amazing scientific breakthroughs but people are still dying and your local AIDS organization needs your help more now than ever volunteer and make a difference with Paul Davids, the author, co-author with Gary Schwartz of An Atheist in Heaven. I was really upset when I read that bit in Gary's chapter about his encounter with Larry O'Donnell and uh, Penn. It uh, just was such a vicious and closed-minded attack 
what do you think was motivating them? Was it just fear of the unknown or were they trying to score points? You know, I think that it was it's it's their belief uh, and that a lot of people are very invested in their beliefs and not interested in exploring beyond them on certain subjects. You know, I think it's true of very religious people. They are uh, committed to their beliefs and, uh, you know, there are things that cannot be they're not up for discussion. And I think the same is true of certain people that absolutely will not consider the paranormal um, and have a debunker uh, mentality. You know, one of those people, uh, Ray Bradbury, I want to mention, the great science fiction writer, uh, I so wanted to get to him with the information about these things happening with Vari and that I had science behind me. Um, I wanted to get this to him uh, before he passed away. And he had uh, helped me uh, to some extent with my film, The Sci-Fi Boys. And then he had been ill and it was uh, out of touch. Uh, and uh, also one of the things I mentioned, apports that happened, uh, a white whale, uh, a figurine of a white whale that my wife had purchased and she knew exactly where she put it and no one had touched it. No one could have touched it. And it vanished overnight. It was, it was gone. Uh, and uh, it wasn't lost on me that, you know, white whale, you think of Moby Dick and Ray Bradbury was the author of the screenplay of Moby Dick. Uh, John Houston has a credit on it too, but it was really, you know, the lion's share of the work was certainly Ray Bradbury. So I wondered if was this another possible, you know, message or warning from Fari that Ray Bradbury didn't have long to live, mm -hmm. and I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to get through to him. Um, and my initial effort to talk about that subject was rebuffed. So I had a friend who was in town who knew him well, who had a meeting set up, and I said, "Would you please tell?" Ray Bradbury, what's been going on and, and how badly I want to talk to him about all this. And then he reported back to me after the meeting. He said, sadly, he said, I'm going to tell you that I told him that you felt that you were hearing from our mutual friend, Fari Ackerman. And he uh, responded with four words. He said, tell him he's wrong. <laughs> And, yet, and then Ray Bradbury passed away. And I, I don't think I've heard from Ray Bradbury. <laughs> Maybe I'll hear from him tonight. Surprise! <laughs> I know. I, know. Um, I read or, and heard somewhere that Gene Rodenberry actually met with a, a group, a channel for uh, over 30 years, and that much of the um, Star Trek was channeled. I don't know about that. I really, I really don't. I, I had heard that he was a skeptic too, sort of like Fari, but I, I don't know. Uh, Miriam, you know, one thing I would like to be able to do in some of the remaining time we have, because I know we're creeping up on the end. Absolutely. I'd like to let your listeners know about some of my other uh, films, you know, that are available. Well, I, I was going to ask you about this new film that you have about Marilyn. It's not out yet, but it will be this year. It's called Marilyn Monroe Declassified. Mm -hmm. And I'm very proud of it. And it 
digs very deeply into the mystery of her death that has been disputed ever since she passed in 1962. Now, is this using esoteric sources or or no, actual no, I, people? No, no, this is people and political figures and uh, evidence and testimony. However, there were things that happened behind the scenes sort of akin to some of the things that have happened with Fari that made me wonder, but let me just say Marilyn Monroe Declassified, it's not out yet, it will be this year, and there is a website, MarilynDeclassified.com. You can see the trailer and get information there. But some of the other projects I've done that are uh, you can find now, each one I have focused on uh, things that are out of the ordinary, sometimes considered fringe, uh, I try to bring some of these things into the mainstream, like Roswell, or it's called Roswell, the UFO cover-up on uh, DVD. And that was for Showtime about the UFO crash uh, in New Mexico in 1947. Um, I then made, I directed my first film called Timothy Leary's Dead about the LSD uh, promoter uh, from Harvard. Timothy Leary, who was uh, sort of a founding father of the psychedelic generation. So I did his biography. Uh, that's going to be online for streaming uh, in the near future. It came out in 97, and it, it was widely distributed, and then became hard to get, but it's coming back. Isn't he I, now called Ram Dass? Now, Ram, no, Ram Dass um, uh, was his uh, associate, Richard Alpert. Oh, Richard Alpert, right. Yes, Richard Alpert and Timothy Leary worked together, along with Ralph Metzger. They were all from Harvard. Mm-hmm. So, and Timothy was the uh, grumpy skeptic, and Ramdas has become the spiritual mystic. Uh, they both used psychedelics very heavily, uh, which shaped their consciousness in many ways. <laughs> uh, the uh, other films, uh, Starry Night, is a fantasy I did. Uh, Universal released it, easy to find. It's about Van Gogh, but it's a fantasy about Vincent Van Gogh. And again, it's like a life after death theme because it's a fantasy in which Vincent is given 100 days to come back and be among us and straighten out his affairs because he thought he, he died as a, an unsuccessful artist. He'd only sold one painting in his lifetime. Well, today, as, as, an, artist, are you, as yeah. an artist, are you particularly uh, drawn to Van Gogh? Oh, very much so. Yeah. I have an art site uh, for my art, hundreds of paintings. I'm in many galleries, uh, including I was just added to the Rio Grande Gallery with some very famous artists of the Southwest. That's in Albuquerque and Gallery Tesla in Sedona and then the Ritz-Carlton in uh, uh, Laguna Niguel. I had a large uh, three-month display of my paintings. So if you go to uh, Paul David's hyphen well, uh, yeah, pauldavids-artist.com. You can see the paintings, and it has access to things about all my different films and uh, quite a number of books. There are even six coffee table books at blurb.com, The Art of Paul Jeffrey Davids. So very serious on the art. Very quickly, I just wanted to say The Sci-Fi Boys is one of my important films, I think. Uh, Saturn Award, Best DVD of the Year. And it deals with the history and growth of science fiction and special effects. Peter Jackson is the host, and it deals with Fari Ackerman's influence. I mentioned Jesus in India, and I know your listeners would 
would be interested in my film before we say goodbye. It's at Amazon Prime. It is really a wonderful, heartwarming story based on a stage play. Uh, all Hispanic American cast in New Mexico, where the star is a Hispanic American grandmother who's a devout Catholic and a devout believer in the miracle of Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's a very important Catholic miracle in the Hispanic culture of 1531, that was the year, miracle of uh, a lady from heaven imprinting her image on the cactus cloth of a peasant. And then the image has survived uh, 500 some years later. You can see it in the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City, and they let us film there. So that one's called Before We Say Goodbye. Again, it has a life after death and a heavenly theme. So those are, you know, that plus, of course, what we've been talking about today, the Life After Death Project, and now An Atheist in Heaven. It's uh, getting to be a, you know, a body of work. (laughs) Well, what is your hope for uh, reaching out into the world? What do you hope your book will accomplish? Well, uh, I think um, I'd like to open skeptical minds with it. You know, there's, there's, it's nice to preach to the choir, you know, as they say, preaching to the converted. Uh, so it's, it's nice to reach people that will uh, agree with you, who feel they already know that there is life after death and that spirits can communicate. I think they'll find the book very interesting and very supportive of what they feel they already know. But I would really love to be able to reach some scientists with this book because it really is for them. And uh, one of the scientists who worked on the book with me said, you know, it's hard to get my colleagues to read it. They hear the topic and they think it's silly. Mm-hmm. You know? It's not silly. It's hardcore science. And until you open up your mind and see that there can be real data about these things that uh, that that. that trained scientists are schooled to ignore, you know, and that's a mistake of our culture. It's a terrible mistake of the Western mind of ignoring, blacking out and completely rejecting these things that, you know, have been considered fringe topics. But now with advances in science, we have tools to measure things we couldn't measure before. And the evidence, as you had said, is increasing. In fact, they're no longer fringe. And I think we can see in the last, I think, 10 years in particular, there's been an exponential uh, increase in openness to paranormal phenomena. And an increase, I think, that there's been an increase in occurrence uh, and acknowledgement of these paranormal phenomena. It's, it's like we're coming full circle because we used to be, as, as a humanity, used to be very much connected with the uh, different dimensions, with the paranormal, with the gods, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then we went into the rational mode. And I think now we're coming back. And really, I think connection with the paranormal is getting back into connection with ourselves. Well, I think you put that very well. And uh, and I hope we'll have more response from the scientific world because they're They're a tough nut to crack. Well, from your lips to God's ear, Forey, get on it. (laughs) Thank you. Paul Davids, an atheist in heaven. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.